Machute Mate recognizes the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and any indigenous elders of other communities who may be listening today. We stand in solidarity in their struggle towards the colonization and land back. Buenas mi gente, what is good? This is Machate Mate here, not with the current events, but with an emergency pod. So you've been keeping up with us, or just keeping up with the news generally out of Latin America. We know things are going down in Peru. Um, very, very complicated stuff, very, very interesting stuff. So we decided to bring on a good friend of the show and um, dear comrade here to sort of break it down for us just a little bit. Um, I'm joined today by Austin. T couldn't make it, unfortunately. Um, but with us is a, like I said, dear comrade Francesca. Um, so welcome to the show, Francesco. How are you? Thank you so much. I, I am okay. Yeah, sad, yeah, but okay. That's um, very, very understandable. But like I like to say, this is Latin America, right? So these things aren't necessarily surprising because no, another another day in the region, right? Um, but um, before we actually get into the nuts and bolts of what's going on, um, can you just sort of tell us who you are? Yeah, uh, I'm Francesca Manuele. I'm Peruvian from a small town in the south of Peru called Ica. I'm a PhD student in anthropology at American University. Uh, and I live here in Washington, D.C. until I finish my PhD program. I hope yeah, in two years. Fantastic. Like I said, it's great to have you. Um, and this is going to take a little bit of a different format to what we're used to because, you know, we like to sort of, you know, shoot the shit sometimes and kind of make it a little bit more jovial, more digestible, just, you know what I mean? But because I think to emphasize the gravity of what's actually going on, because this is a very big thing, we're just going to try to keep it nice and tidy for y'all and um, just put out the facts and um, basically allow Francesca to illuminate us to what's, what's going on down there. Um, like I said, things are moving very, very fast in Peru. Um if you know just a little bit about what's been going on in Peru for over the last year, you know, Pedro Castillo was elected. Um, it was a very, very surprising um, election. I know we were sort of excited about it. I think cautious excitement as well, because I think at the time we we recognized that it was going to be a struggle given, you know, Pedro Castillo's background and understanding the entire history of Peru as well. Because um, we know historically Peru has been quite reactionary. I'm going way, way, way back. Peru was essentially the last monarchist, um, I guess, uh, polity in South America, before, you know, during the revolutions. The only sort of came out of that as, you know, San Martin was coming from the south and Bolivar was coming from the north. A bit more complicated than that, um, but it has been sort of the last bastion of like reaction, reaction in the region. Um, but I guess with that in mind, um, Francesca, what's just sort of give us a rundown of what's been going on. I know like we were talking about off camera, off air, like there's a lot of nuance. Um, I suppose give us the general gist of what's going on. And if you can just sort of try to break it down for us, if you can. Yeah, the situation in Peru is, is a tragedy right now. It's a catastrophe for all Peruvians. It is heartbreaking for me. Uh, uh, democracy hasn't triumphed. Democracy has not triumphed, as the majority of the press says, 
or many of the experts say uh, in my country right now. Uh, Peru elected a president who said that it was leftist for the first time in our history. Uh, he was a working class president and, and he offered, he said that he was going to conduct several transformations, that it was going to reduce inequalities, that it was going to give voices to the working class people. Uh, he was an indigenous in the wise sense of the term, and, and he was elected a year and a half ago, and now he's arrested. He is in prison. And now in Peru, we have a president, a new president, Dina Boluarte, that we didn't elect, that uh, most Peruvian, Peruvians don't know uh, who she is, despite the fact that she was the vice president of Pedro Castillo, she barely campaigned with him. Uh, she was appointed as the Minister of uh, Inclusion, one of the ministries more coveted in, in, in Peru because he has a huge budget it, uh, that any minister could do anything with it. Um, but she, what she decided to do was continue with the policies that she inherited from different, from previous administrations. Uh, she was no vocal during that this year and a half, and now she's the president. And she was even kicked out from the party that she ran with, with Pedro Castillo. So she has no party, she has no base, and now she's our president. And, and finally, we have a Congress in Peru that is captured by right-wing forces, by congressmen and congresswomen that tried to impeach Castillo even before he was sworn in. Uh, a Congress that yesterday, you know, there's an image in my head that uh, I have stuck from yesterday of these congressmen and congresswomen celebrating, taking selfies after Castillo was impeached and saying that democracy triumphed when they were attacking democracy from the first day of this presidency. And, and what, I, what I would like to say is that in Peru, we are engulfed in a deep political crisis. This, this uh, particular situation can be understood if we don't, if we don't look at our past. We have to go back in the past four years since 2018 when our last elected president uh, resigned. We have had six presidents. Uh, in, in every elections, new parties are created. For example, our current Congress uh, was elected with eight parties and now there are 14 political groups within Congress because many members of the parties resign from the parties because they are really not engaged in, in these political groups that have no agenda, that are just a bunch of people who uh, run because of personal interest. So it's very important to keep in mind that we what we are seeing in Peru is part of a systemic problem of our political system. And it can be, as I said, understood just uh, looking at this particular moment. And it can be uh, stated that we uh, 
came back to normality and we have democracy in Peru because our democracy is agonizing uh, and it has been agonizing for many, many years. So, oh my goodness, thank you for that, Francesca. I have so many different thoughts and questions of my own um, about everything that's been going on in Peru. Or at least this was the first thought that I had in my head yesterday. I was sitting in my chair, right, minding my own business. And like you have described, Francesca, this whole last year, or I guess year and a half of the Castillo presidency, he, he's been at war with an intransigent Congress for the most part, right? And a very far right, you know, media in Peru. Um, but what's what what was surprising to me is I don't understand still, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on why Castillo yesterday, I guess as the beginning of everything that happened, why he moved to dissolve the Congress. Were, were the votes there for the impeachment I've seen, or at least from your perspective, right? Because I've seen different people say different things. I even saw Ceron, right? The secretary general of Peru Libre. And I know he's a character, right? I even saw Ceron come out and say, oh, I don't know why he did this. The votes weren't there for impeachment, right? And if that's the case, like that's that's what I'm struggling with, if that makes any sense. I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so far, um, the evidence was that there were no enough votes to impeach him. Um, but I have to say that Castillo has been cornered since the first day of his presidency. And I think he is not mentally okay. Many of the members of his family were are under investigation or in prison or fled because of their involvement in cases of corruption. So what he has been doing since the beginning of his presidency is has been he has been trying to survive and while he had this Congress that tried to impeach him many times. They conducted three uh, impeachment votes, but they tried to impeach him several times and they tried to oust him. He made this terrible decision of dissolving Congress that ended up not happening because as soon as he announced it in a, in a, sloppy way uh, <laughs> uh he his cabinet started to resign people yeah. who were supported supporting him started to resign right away in less than two hours uh he was arrested when he was going to the mexican embassy to get political asylum uh there were no no one from the military on the streets to support that uh uh, dissolving Congress and, and imposing a government of, his, of exception, as he said. So I don't know if he was part of a, of a, tr a trap uh, by his most, his closest uh, allies and advisors. That's likely. But at the same time, it shows that he was not in his right mind to make that decision because the problem is that now the right-wing forces the judiciary system that is right-wing is trying to imprison him for uh, under charges of rebellion and that will bring him to prison for 20 years yeah. and the truth is that castillo did something that was against democracy but he 
apparently he didn't uh, deploy any military on the streets. So it's not that he really committed a rebellion. He just made an, uh, an announcement saying that he was dissolving Congress and he ended up not doing anything because he didn't have support. And he didn't have support. This is very important. He didn't have support on the streets. He didn't have popular support to do that. Yeah. And he didn't calculate that. You see that? Uh, thank you. Like that, that helps me kind of gather a lot of my thoughts here because it's amazing to me. I saw, correct me if I'm wrong, Francesca. I think I saw even just a, a week or two ago when, uh, what his sixth cabinet, what was it, Betsy Chavez got appointed as prime minister? I think she even came out when she got appointed and said, no, we're definitely not going to dissolve Congress. And then a week later, they dissolved Congress anyway. So to me, that speaks t to what you're saying as far as like, it's, it's shocking to me that, that he would do this when like, Evidently, not only did he have the support of the military, he didn't have the support of his own cabinet. That's amazing to me. Like I, I can't. I don't know if you have any any thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's an important part of information I haven't shared, and is that right uh, hours before the impeachment vote, many figures supposedly connected with Castillo came out and said that Castillo received money from them. Uh, there was one person who went to Congress just hours before the impeachment vote that said that gave Castillo, I think, like 100,000 soles, uh, like $30,000. And I think those uh, several accusations, public accusations, made Castillo think that probably uh, Congress was going to gather the support to impeach him. So that could be one explanation of how, why he precipitated and did something so reckless because uh, he didn't, even if you bend the law in Peru or, 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 yeah, or try to interpret the law, he had no uh, law uh, protection for any of that. In Peru, the, in, in the constitution of Peru, you can dissolve or the president can dissolve Congress if there are two no confidence vote. But he didn't even have one. So uh, what he did was completely unlawful, apart from uh, not very well strategized. Yeah, thank you. That's amazing to me. And it speaks to something that I think Full disclosure, right? Uh, we were in Peru for the election last year, so we got to like kind of meet some different people, whether it's Peru, Libre, Nueva Peru, et cetera, et cetera. And something I've said before on on the podcast before, at least, was one of my takeaways from like the the brief interactions we had was that Castillo is like to me, he's a man that is not motivated by ideology, right? And to me, uh, somebody that is a president of a country that is not motivated by ideology makes them much more susceptible to manipulation, right? Susceptible to people around them. Whoever was the last person he heard say something to him, right? Helping him make a decision. So I, I can definitely see, I, I was just mentioning to Leroy uh, earlier before on camera, I saw even uh, what is it, Guido Beido today was saying something like, I think Castillo was drugged to make that statement. So there's like a whole bunch of conspiracies coming out there of like why he would even do this because of how, how ridiculous this is. Um, but, but I'm also curious, uh, would you, in your opinion, would you classify what happened yesterday as a coup? 
what, what like as whether what Castillo did or, or what happened to him? What do, what do you say to people who say this was a coup d'etat and the right wing forces or, or, or what have you? Um, well, it's, it's kind of difficult to say, but I, I would say that Castillo attempt a coup, intent to have a coup to dissolve parliamentary coup or, or dissolve Congress, actually. Uh, but it, there was an attempted coup, coup on him um, that started a year and a half ago and was successful yesterday. Hmm. Um, there are some nuances to that because the truth is that many people who supported him in Congress decided to vote to impeach him because he had uh, uh, banned democracy completely when he announced an autocratic government that he was going to lead by decree. So, yeah, you can see it with those terms, but I would say that there, there is a need for a better explanation. Um, of course, we have to keep in mind that these right-wing forces, the ruling class, was trying to oppose him all the time. But uh, the truth is that Congress, the congressmen and congresswomen, even though they wanted to oust him, they didn't want to lose their jobs. So they ended up uh, never reaching the amount of votes they needed to oust him. Uh, because many of them, despite the fact that the fact that they are right wings, they knew that if they impeach him, uh, uh, they could lose their jobs. And in Peru, you can't run two times for Congress, mm. so they were afraid that they could lose that those positions. That's why I'm saying that we we need more nuances, perspectives, because it's not uh, black and white or who or not. Right. Yeah, there's um a, a few things I want to ask and I want some clarity on as well. Um, first, do you think like how do you think the like right wingers and the reactionary forces there are going to react to this, especially given like do you, do you think they're going to come out and be like, oh, you know, see, so, you know, this this you know this communist, you know how the communists are, you know, dictator, you know, autocratic, blah blah blah, and the reaction as like you mentioned at the top that he's indigenous in the broad sense do you think they're going to point to him out mira este indio and blah 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 you know what i mean like is that are they going to come out in full force and like kind of double down on all these ideas you think against him yeah or yeah or against indigenous people broadly against the left broadly as well this is a huge defeat for the left i think uh the left rally behind him uh, supporting him, thinking that he was going to transform the country, that he had a leftist progressive plan to implement. And the problem is that uh, he wasn't a leftist president. And, and he never thought in those terms, as Austin said before, I doubt he had an ideology. He had a sensibility for uh, the working class because he is from the working class. He wanted the country to be a better place for the working class, but he never thought in the policies need, needed in order to achieve that. 
and the left, including myself, uh, we were, many of us, we were very silent during this year and a half because we saw every week how he was not uh, even trying to accomplish any of the promises he said. But at the same time, we didn't want to criticize him because it was a dichotomy there. Yeah. Or you were uh, with him or you were a traitor and part of the right wing. And and that weekend, the left, that weekend, the debate about policies we had in Peru. And many of the right wingers are saying what you say, Leroy, that, oh, these leftists, we can uh, uh, now vote for any leftists anymore because, because you know, they they are a failure. And of course, the right wingers are using all their arsenal of racist things to attack him and attack people who supported him. Yeah, 100%. And I think there's a few lessons to, to gain from here as well is, um, first of all, like, like, I like to say quite a bit that um, those of us on the left, we have to be immaculate, right? We have to have, we need to know every single piece of theory. We need to be honest. We need to, like, the we don't have any benefit that that was the right wings, reactionary fascists can come out and just say utter nonsense and it's fine, but we have to be perfect. You know what I mean? Um, and we're sort of seeing that now that even despite, you know, the forces of reaction prove very cynically trying to impeach him on bullshit right can now turn around and see you You see we can't trust leftists because you know leftists are always gonna you know try to be a dictatorship and try to declare martial law or whatever other whatever other nonsense they want to say and then pretty soon they're gonna they're gonna sort of twist this and create an atmosphere where people forget the years-long attempt at impeaching him and there's gonna be pointed like look what he did in this in this moment you know what i mean which is very very frustrating and I think we need to remember as well um, that, like like you said, throughout this all this time, Pedro Castillo was not what's 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 even the word was was abandoned abandoned the like leftist principles. Like and like you said, I think he came in with this idea that you know I'm from the working class. I want a better world for the working class. But when it's not tied down in any actual theory of change or ideology. Like it doesn't really matter because it's just it's just hope and you know hope and change. You know what I mean? Um, this is coming from the guy who immediately got cozy with the OAS and um, you know all, all these guys. And as we like to say here, the OAS is the United States Department of the Colonies, right? They're enemy number one f- for us in Latin America. And this guy's was getting cozy with them pretty quickly, which is very 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 disappointing. Um, it's it's very frustrating. No, absolutely. Echoing those thoughts. And like, to me, when I look back on the election last year, you know, it was just so (laughs) because it's Peru, right? Putting things in the proper context, right? Like seeing a movement, a movement like this, because it was a coalescing of a lot of the different left wing parties in Peru, seeing that come together and people able to win the presidency, like Obviously, part of me wanted to believe, right, wanted to believe that this was a a real moment because of that history, right? Like, and I know, like, I remember people at the time saying things like, oh, but 
no, Austin, you're delusional. It's another Umala. Blah, and now I'm like, oh, yikes. Like maybe it was even worse. I don't know. It depends on the uh, interpretation. Um, but I'm curious, Francesca, uh, how do you think, uh, once again, from your perspective, uh, how does the left or how do you see the, the left in Peru moving forward? Like, do you think there will even be a, another moment soon where we see Peru Libre and Juntos por Peru and everybody working together? Or is that was the moment and it's it's like, I, I don't know. How do you how do you see the left moving forward? So as I said before, there is this is a big failure for the left. Um, all the left rally behind Castillo and his party that ended up not being a real party, ended up being an organization run by one person. Um, and the other leftist party is not a party anymore. It lost its credentials. And... That's the tragedy of the political system in Peru, that the bar to get credentials to become a party is high. So only uh, businessmen who have money, uh, only uh, people from the elites are able to reach all the those requirements to become a party. So at this point in Peru, at this point, if there are new elections, there is no even one leftist party. You, we could argue and say that Peru Libre is a leftist party, but I personally don't think so. And so in my personal view, there is no even one leftist party that could run in, in a potential next elections in Peru. That's really sad. Do you think, because um, obviously in any situation, I, I think we get jaded a little bit within our sort of ideological bubbles, we think that everyone's either, you know, a leftist or like reactionary, but that's discounting like the thousands of people who are just sort of moderates that they don't really follow politics as much. They sort of go with the flow. Do you think those types of people in Peru will look at this and be like, you know what, maybe the Fujimori constitution wasn't that bad because look at, you know, the other side of it. Like, do you think there'll, there'll be a sort of coalescence like around that? Or um, like I, I suppose, what do you think is the next steps for that Fujimori legacy and this and the the hope for that new constitution? The Fujimori legacy is still there, and they need to survive as a party because it's the only hope they have to uh, pardon his uh, his leader Alberto Fujimori, or is the only way they have in order to get away with all the crimes they committed, including uh, stealing a lot of money and receiving a lot of bribes. And genocide. Uh, including and genocide. Yeah, but um, so that party, it's a real, it's a mafia. Yeah. So they have to continue, unfortunately, uh, working as a party because that's, that gives them the, the path to bend uh, the institutions in their favor. Uh, on the other hand, I think that people are fed up with this constitution, with the constitution that was uh, passed during the dictatorship of Alberto Fujimori, and actually is the constitution that has been used uh, to to create the conditions that create this poli- uh, political crisis we see today. That. Actually, we have 
uh, as I said, like many presidents, six presidents in the past four years, this uh, uh, permanent political crisis. So if someone needs a new constitution, that's Peru. <laughs> the problem is, <laughs> yeah, the problem is that now with the political actors that we have in Congress, yeah. I don't know what can come yeah. from those right-wing fascist reactionary people. So there is an, a, a previous need of a political reform to open the scenario to bring other political groups that didn't reach that bar to become political parties. And then we can start thinking about a constitution to make, uh, to bring a stability and to bring potential better, uh, better future for my country. Yeah, thanks for thanks for that. And and like on a similar note to what Leroy was saying, there, I'm curious because <clears throat> probably one of the number one questions in my mind now as well is like, I, so I see um, a lot of the different left parties that I follow: Nuevo Peru, uh, Peru Libre, Patria Roja, all the people that I've engaged with. Right, um, I see a common call right now for immediate new elections as, as soon as possible, right? And a constituent assembly. Um, I, I'm curious, I guess, kind of like two-part question. From what you've seen, because I have, I don't follow as many Peruvians, right? From what you've seen, ha have anybody from the right wing been saying similar or are they just, oh no, Dina's the president, we'll wait to 2026, whatever. Um, do you think there will be elections before 2026 or is very likely there will not be elections till 20, I think 2026, right? There is a far right uh, group and far right parties that uh, are organizing right now a protest against Dina Boluarte, the mm, new president. Of course. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure that as soon as she does something that the ruling uh, groups in Peru don't like, they are going to try to impeach her. Yeah. Uh, of course. And the left, uh, it's... It's normal. It's it. It's understandable that uh, or groups from the left that are requesting for uh, new elections, overall new general elections. They are aware, of course, that in those new elections, there they have no inscription or do, do, no credentials to run. Yeah. <laughs> they they are aware of that, but they feel that the moral uh, situation now is to push for that because that Congress that we have right now is a fascist right-wing Congress that pushed Castillo out from the first day. Yeah. Uh, but my position that I shared with you before is more strategic, is thinking that uh, if we have elections right now, we don't know what can happen. Now there is a, a right populist, uh, I heard, uh, I hate using the word populist actually, a right uh, group that says that is a working class group that is uh, led by uh, Antauro Mala. It's a figure that was in prison for many years uh, because he, he, he uh, ran a, like a rebellion against Fujimori. And, and he resonates a lot with the, uh, with the working class people in Peru because they say we're going to kill all the corrupts 
we are gonna reestablish the death penalty. We're gonna persecute LGBTQ people, and and it's likely that he will like he will have a possibility of winning if there is new elections tomorrow. Uh, so that is what makes me very uh, fearful. Okay, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you bring up Antaro Umala. Um, this is one of the most wow. Okay, so I I touched upon Oyanto Umala a little bit earlier, who was his his older brother, right? Who was a previous president of Peru, right? The Umala family, they're a whole cast of characters in like Peruvian politics. I won't even try and go too deep into that. But like you said, describing Antaro, right? Like, so obviously you're Peruvian and probably know way better about this than I do. But so they're like the they call themselves what like the ethno caserists, right? Like the movement is essentially like i hate to get hyperbolic and please tell me if i'm being hyperbolic i mean they're like fascists right like they're essentially like like prove like they talk about getting land back from chile and like we're gonna renew like the peruvian national identity and stuff like that and like and i saw uh, another good uh uh, uh peruvian though what is it uh, or at least somebody that i remember meeting last year uh, uh tito wanka right i saw him tweet something to the effect of Oh, those elites are going to be sad. They collapse the Castillo administration. Wait for Antaro's administration and see what happens then. Do you do you think like do you think there's a chance that like Antaro Bala could actually and the ethno Castros could like actually? I mean, you did say their uh, message is resonating with the population, but like, I guess my brain is curious if if elections do go to 2026. Do we even have an idea of what those would look like? Like, I know there's also people like uh, Lopez Aliaga, who just got elected mayor of Lima, if I'm not mistaken. Like, there's what would you what would you expect uh, from this early date uh, of what the elections in 2026 could look like? Well, if the elections are in 2026, I think there are still many years for the left to organize political parties and to organize itself and bring uh, an honest and a progressive party uh, to the elections. But the, if the elections are tomorrow, <laughs> uh, that's, that's my fear because the a scenario is, is, is terrible. As I said, there is no even one leftist party. <laughs> so you people would have to decide between the right wing, the super right wing, or or the ethnocaceristas that I'm sure that we'd find will find a shell party uh, that run uh, that they can run with. Okay, so th- this has been super informative, uh, very much so far. I don't want to take up too much of your time, Francesca, but I do. Speaking for myself, I don't know if you have any other questions, Leroy. I do have one final question, which I guess is, uh, I mean, maybe not super philosophical, but a little philosophical, which is. Do you think this was inevitable? Like, do you think there was anything Castillo could have done to, to prevent things getting to this point? Or do you think with the way the Congress is set up, the, literally, there this was an inevitability, there was nothing he could have done? Of course, this was ine- inevitable. Uh, <laughs> he could have get the popular support, implemented some of his policies, even like the, the, the least... A progressive one, passing a, a, a reform of of taxes uh, to reduce the inequalities in Peru, um, even just using 
symbolic speeches, passing policies in the cultural or cultural realm. You know, he could have done so many good things, but he didn't do that. And he could have uh, appointed uh, leftist figures that have expertise that could have helped him to, to advance those programs, but he didn't do it. I think the system is horrible. The right-wingers corner him, attack him, uh, but he had room to do good things. He could have also get close to leftist governments that opened their arms to him, but he decided to go to the Organization of American State since September last year, just two months after he was inaugurated. He came to Washington, D.C., and he went to meet with Almagro right after he met with the leftist governments in Mexico, in La Salac, where this summit was questioning the OAS and its role in the coup uh, of Bolivia in 2019. And the, ne the next day after he was meeting with these progressive governments in Mexico, he came to meet with Almagro. He didn't even meet... Joe Biden, that normally if you're a president and you come to Washington, you always meet with the head of the government, which is Joe Biden. And he met with Almagro. That whitewashed the face of Almagro and gave Almagro the opportunity to, you know, be next to the new leftist president in the region and and get more, I mean, credentials of how amazing he could be, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. And um, like Austin said, we'll wrap up here a little bit, but I have um, sort of a final few points as well. Um, I would argue that Almagro is the president of Miami. So he was meeting with the president of Latin America. So you know what I mean? <laughs> and we can't, it gets hard to overemphasize what a betrayal, I suppose, to those of us from Latin America who are identify as, I guess, leftist, socialist, communist, whatever, to meet with the head of the OAS, right? Because this, we talk about the United States, we talk about Canada, we talk about the global north. The OAS is sort of like that, their representative in the region, right? They're sort of the, again, the Department of the Colonies. So it's very, very disappointing. Um, my question, my final question here for you, Francesca, is um, in your in your vision, what does the left now need to do in Peru to, I suppose, remedy this, kind of um, cut the losses, kind to, I guess, I suppose, stop the bleeding going forward? And what is your vision for Peru? Like, what what is your ideal Peru? What does what does Peru need to be in your in your in your estimation yeah first i want to just talk a little bit about the oas again because he didn't have to meet with Almagro exactly here. he he decided to do it not only that he gave nine million soles which is like i don't know three million dollars to the organization of american states to organize the general assembly in lima <laughs> Peru, in the middle of a political and economic crisis, gave that money to the OAS. Uh, and, and to be truthful, the OAS gave uh, uh, Castillo some oxygen. Mm. So uh, 
it, it, I would question who said that the OAS uh, organized a coup against him because right before he was going to be impeached, the OAS acted quickly and organized a high-level delegation that went to Peru and extend, I mean, and brought attention to Peru so the right-wing forces didn't impeach him. And of course, right after Castillo was ousted yesterday, the OAS with the United States were like, oh, uh, Castillo, uh, you know, attacked democracy. Now we support Dina, uh, Dina Boluarte. And yeah, yeah. But at the same time, Castillo was very close to the, to the OAS, right? So that's one thing. The second thing, what I think that uh, left, the leftists can do, and we have a window of opportunity here, because as I said before, uh, with Castillo in the presidency, it was hard for many of us to criticize his policies. But now this is a president we didn't, uh, elect that hasn't said publicly that he's a leftist or hasn't promised anything. So we can uh, criticize her and also add uh, real issues to our debates because we put those important debates of what is needed to be done in order to defend Castillo or to attack the right-wing fascist uh, forces that were attacking Castillo. And so now is a moment where when we can organize, we can build parties, we can build uh, social movements and start talking about what's the plan we want for the next years in Peru and what's the plan we want for that uh, constitution that we need desperately, but we won't have a good constitution if we don't start talking about what's going to be in exactly. that constitution. <laughs> So, so I think I think in in the middle of this tragedy, there is a little there is some hope. Very good. Bueno, Francesca, thanks for coming on. It's been very very illuminating. I hope um, you listeners out there kind of gain a really good perspective of what's been going on. I know I have, and I'm sure I speak for Austin as well. Um, as much as we like to think that we kind of know a little bit about, you know things here and there across the region it's always important to have voices like you who are from there who has you know this i like i like i like to say that even though we talk about different places in latin america like at the end of the day we're puerto rican you're peruvian this means a whole lot more to you than it does to us and i mean that in the best way possible um so thank you very much for coming on um and again this is an evolving story like you said tomorrow there could be a snap election and then all shit goes to hell again or who knows who knows um but yeah uh everybody out there all eyes in peru um hopefully things work out hopefully everything gets down uh gets organized in a way that we would like um nothing but solidarity with the leftist fragments that exist there at the moment hopefully they can coalesce together and move forward and bring about this constitution that needs to change right um and i think it's 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 hard to overstate that as much as we understand that the right wing in peru and across latin america is just a a cabal of fuckery this is why it's called lawfare because they use the law to their advantage to bring this about right because we could talk about, you know, oh, you know, the right wing elements in Congress improve this, this and that. They were ostensibly within the rights to continuously bring about impeachment proceedings, right? Even though we know it's all bullshit. But it is what it is. And hopefully we can just pray that 
that changes going forward. Um, so again, thank you. And for those of you, uh, for those of you out there, if you support what we do, like I always say, um, consider showing yourself there on our Patreon, patreon.com slash machete mate, where you get access to our Discord community, a lot of good chats there. You get access to our After Dark um, episodes, which is a bit more casual, not as serious as this episode has been. Um, that's those a little bit more fun. Um, but yeah, thanks for tuning in. And as always, hasta la victoria. Thank you so much, Francesca. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.